invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me for our scripture reading for our sermon text today. We are going to be together in the Old Testament. We're going to look together at Psalm 119, verses 33 to 40. Psalm 119, right in the middle of your Bible, longest chapter in your Bible. And it's a, a hymn, a poem, lyrics, all about God's Word. And so we're going to look together at just one stanza of this psalm this morning. 119, 33 through 40. This is God's holy Word for us as people today. God's word says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness give me life. This is God's holy word for us today. Let's ask him to bless our time in his word. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for not remaining silent, but for opening your mouth and speaking to us, inspiring these words so many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And thank you for preserving this word faithfully through every generation and keeping it for us so that we can have it this morning and we can hear you speak to us fresh and new with power right here today. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of your word. You be our teacher today. And give us hearts to receive with faith and wills that are eager to obey with joy. And we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7.19, For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Circumcision doesn't count for anything. Uncircumcision doesn't count for anything. What counts is keeping the commandments of God. Now, Paul says something very similar in two other places, and those other places are both in his letter to the Galatians. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, Paul says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only, and he doesn't say keeping the commandments of God. He says something else. 
Uncircumcision doesn't count for anything. Circumcision doesn't count. What counts is, he says, only faith working through love. Only faith working through love. In one other place, he says something similar. Later in the epistle, right at the end, in chapter 6, verse 15, Paul says again, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision. But, and he doesn't say faith working through love, and he doesn't say keeping the commandments of God. Paul likes to switch it up on us. He says, not circumcision, not uncircumcision, that doesn't count. The only thing that counts, he says, is a new creation. A new creation. Or you could translate it, being a new creature. Being a new creature. So in other words, Paul says, being Jewish, circumcision, or being Gentile, non-Jewish, uncircumcision, is irrelevant for those in Christ. It's just irrelevant. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish. It doesn't matter if you're not Jewish, if you're a Christian. The only thing that matters is, and he gives three answers. The only thing that matters is these three things. Keeping God's commandments, faith, active or working through love, and being a new creature. This is how Paul summarizes the Christian faith in the context of resolving the conflicts of his churches between Jewish and non-Jewish followers of Jesus. Being Jewish, Paul says, or being non-Jewish doesn't count for anything before God when you follow Jesus. Rather, Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 and 28, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That's what we read in our, in our reading from Romans 13. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. As many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. And then he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. All that matters, if you're a Christian, is these three things. Keeping God's commandments, faith working through love, and being a new creature. Sounds easy, right? No, I'll just be a new creature. I'll just keep God's commandments. No problem. Faith working through love. Got a lot of faith. Got a lot of love. Check, check, check. Perfect Christians, right? Simple. Easy to say. Not easy to do. If this is true, if this is true, then these three things should be the focus of our Christian lives. If I were to ask you, what should be the central focus? This doesn't matter, and that doesn't matter. This doesn't count for anything, and that doesn't count for anything. All that matters is, fill in the blank. I'll send out the survey this week in an email, and you tell me. I wonder what the answers would be. Trusting in the blood, going to heaven, the afterlife, 
The second coming, the cross, the gospel, the resurrection, predestination, John Calvin. Presbyterianism, elders, infant baptism, rapture or no rapture. <gasps> That's what's it all, what it's all about, right? What the book of Revelation means. All those things are wonderfully interesting and very important. They're not all equally important, but they're all important because they're all things that have to do with the Christian faith. They're all things that are debated about what God's Word teaches. All that stuff is fascinating, wonderful, interesting, and it can be really rewarding to dig into this stuff, study these issues. But what's most important? We make Christianity about a lot of different stuff in terms of what is central, what is core, what is non-negotiable, what is ultimate. But Paul says it's these three things. And if it's true that keeping God's commandments and faith working through love and being a new creature is most important, then we ought to spend our lives pouring over these things and living them out and not letting those other important, interesting issues take the place at the center of what our Christian lives are built around. We might say today that perfect theology doesn't count for anything and perfect interpretations of every Bible verse doesn't count for anything or being in the right denomination doesn't count for anything or being, you know, being in the right local church doesn't count for anything. All that matters is not perfect theology, although perfect theology would be great, not perfect exegesis of the text, although that's really important, the thing that counts is right here. It's like Samuel told Saul in the Old Testament. To obey is better than sacrifice. We might say, to obey is better than theology. Now, Samuel didn't say sacrifice doesn't matter. And I'm not saying theology doesn't matter. We really believe in theology around here because we're reformed. We have to. It's just non-negotiable. When you took membership vows, you took a vow to like pursue reform theology. No, you didn't really. Not everything's most important, but this is. This is being an obedient, loving new creature. That's where we should spend the majority of our time. And when we do theology and debate these issues, it should all be in the service of being a better follower of Jesus who does these three things better. And if debating theology makes you have less faith and less love, your priorities are in the wrong spot. So, in our passage this morning, we will look to the Old Testament, the same Bible Paul and Jesus looked to to teach these things. And we're going to look there in order to understand how we should focus on these three things. And this text in Psalm 119 expresses the heart of what Paul says and gives us an example to follow. And I summarize these three things this way. And these are the three points of our sermon today. Learning God's ways, loving God's ways, and living God's ways. Let's look at these one at a time.
before we can keep God's commandments and before faith can work through love, we first need to be new creatures. We first need to be new creatures. In our natural, fallen, sinful state, we are not going to keep any of God's commandments. In fact, Paul says in Romans 8 that we are unable to do so because we're in the flesh and we're slaves of sin. Jesus says we're in bondage to sin until the Son sets us free. And so we cannot keep any commandments. We can't even have faith. Forget about love. We can't do it until we're new creatures. And being a new creature means the complete renovation of our hearts and minds, which leads to a transformed life. Only then can we learn God's way and walk in it. In our text, in verses 33 to 35, the psalmist expresses what it means to be a new creature in terms of being enlightened by God in the mind. This is what he says, verses 33 through 35. I'm going to read the first part of each of those three verses. And notice that it's, all the, it's the psalmist three times asking God to do something to him. He says first, teach me the way, verse 33, teach me, O Lord, the way. Of your statutes. The next verse he says, Give me understanding. Teach me your way. Teach me the way. Give me understanding. And then in verse 35, Lead me in the path of your commandments. So this is the psalmist who's saying, I need you to teach me your way. I need you to give me understanding about what your way is. And I need you to lead me in the path. Now, here's a principle you should, you should keep in mind when reading the Bible. Especially when you get to passages like this where it's being addressed to God. Or where Jesus teaches us to pray like this and he gives us things to ask for. If we have to ask for it, we don't already have it. Right? You don't ask for something you don't you don't ask for something you already have. Now, I can give you more of something you already have, like money. But that more that you want, you don't have. That's why you're asking for it. You get what I'm saying? You can't, you can't ask for something you've already got because you already got it. It can't be given to you because you already have it. Here, the psalmist is saying, I need you to teach me. I need you to make me understand And I need you to lead me. These are not things the psalmist already has and already does on his own. That's why he's asking for them. And if he's asking God for them, that means they are God's to give. He does have them, and therefore he can give them. I can't ask you to give me something you don't have. Hey, can you give me the remote? Well, if you don't have the remote, no, you can't. God has the knowledge. God has the understanding. God has His way. And we are asking God, teach me, enlighten me, lead me, because I don't naturally do these things. We need God to give us understanding. And that means we have to be enlightened in our minds. We need Him to be our teacher. We need to learn God's ways. And the first thing we have to do is to recognize that 
We are full-time receivers, and he's a full-time giver. Any understanding you have of Scripture, any knowledge you have of God's ways, any walking in God's path, that's a gift from God. That's not your contribution to him. That's his gift to you. That's why the psalmist is praying for it. Being a new creature starts with the renovation of our minds. We need new minds where before was darkness, mists of sin clouding our eyes so that we can't see God's word for what it is and we can't see the cross for what it is and we don't see Jesus for who he is. We see through mists of confusion in our own sin and we don't see the loveliness We don't see the beauty. We don't see the glory. That's what characterizes an unbeliever. They don't see the beauty and the power and the glory of God in these things. And so they don't understand. They don't see. They don't have a saving spiritual grasp of these things. And so we pray. And we say, God, give us these things. We must be new creatures. And only God can make us a new creature. And it starts with... Him giving us an understanding so that we can learn His ways. This enlightenment of the mind also changes the heart. Now I'll read the second half of those three verses, verses 33 to 35. Notice this. Teach me your way, verse 33, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. When God turns on the lights in our mind, that truth that we can finally see for the first time, it affects our hearts. It grips our hearts. This is why when we sing glorious hymns like, Nothing but the blood... That truth ought to trigger something in the heart. We're not just out here looking for mindless emotions and experiences. We're looking to have our hearts moved by the truth we see about the God we serve. We're looking to have our hearts stirred. And here he says, Lord, if you teach me, I will keep your law. If you give me understanding, I will observe it with my whole heart. If you lead me. That's where I'll go because I delight in your way. So we got to be new creatures and it starts with having our minds changed and what we grasp of God when when the lights go on, it grips our hearts and our hearts change. Now we have hearts that actually want to keep God's way and not just thinking obedience is such a killjoy and not just thinking that, oh, God's rules, gross. What about grace? (laughs) What a burden. Sometimes obedience can feel like a burden because it's difficult. But it's not, doesn't feel like a burden. This is not supposed to because our hearts just resist and don't like it. Now we struggle with this, don't we? This is why we got to be made new. We must continue in this posture of prayer as we go to God's word and continuously Day after day, seek to learn God's way so we can continue to change and grow. We don't pray this prayer one time. God zaps us with knowledge and then we're on our own. Paul says in Galatians, having begun with the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Oh, foolish Galatians. 
Let it not be, O foolish members of the forks. Having begun with the Spirit, we continue with the Spirit. And so day after day, we open our Bibles and we say, Lord, teach me. Lord, give me understanding. Lead me in the path of your commandments. And if you'll do this, then I'll be able to keep it. Then I'll observe it. Then I'll delight in it. We go to the Word of God and we ask for these things so that we can be new creatures and stay new creatures and not go back to the old ways. That's number one. How do we do these three things? How do we keep our focus on the essential things that Paul says? Learning God's way is number one. And we learn God's way on our knees over our Bibles, praying prayers like verses 33 through 35. Next, as we learn God's way, as we learn His commandments and get more knowledgeable in what it means to obey and what He's asking us to do, as we learn the specifics of His commandments, not just His promises, but His commandments, as we continue to learn and God continues to give us understanding and to change our hearts so we can walk in these ways, as this is happening, we must also now, number two, seek to love God's way. Not just learn it and know it, but love it. Because faith must be active in love. Faith must be active in love. In verses 36 and 37, the psalmist asks God to do something to his heart. Look what it says, verses 36 and then verse 37. He says, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Incline my heart to you, not me. Selfish gain is where your heart bends back on itself and starts focusing on self. But a heart that's inclined towards God, it moves away from self and looks out into God and looks to Christ. It sees gain in knowing God and loving God, not in the things of the self. And then verse 37, the other side of incline my heart towards your testimonies is turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Now that line's where I got the title for this sermon, living God's way. Give me life in your ways. Give me a life walking in your path, Lord. Give me that kind of life. Notice, the, notice the, poet, the poetic connections there between selfish gain and worthless things. This is like Paul in Philippians 3 who rattles off his long list of accolades and accomplishments and advantages as, a, as, a, as this super good Jewish believer. And all of a sudden he says, it's just rubbish. It counts for nothing compared to knowing Christ. Turn my eyes away from selfish gain and from these worthless things. Turn them back towards you. We need faith in God's Word, but if we just stop with knowing it, we've stopped short. We need to then also seek to have a faith that is active, that's working through love. Yes, love of neighbor, but first it's a it's a heart that loves God's way, that doesn't just tolerate God's law, doesn't just put up with God's commandments, doesn't just say, well, I guess this is just part of it. 
I guess I'll just have to grip my teeth and go on with it till I get to heaven, then I'm done with this obedience stuff. Some of us can fall into thinking that way, but that's not what it's supposed to be like. We are supposed to pray for an inclined heart. The psalmist asks God to bend his heart towards God's word, to tilt his whole being towards obedience, to turn the spiritual terrain against sin and towards righteousness. We're asking for the the very topography of our hearts to be altered. Where before our hearts were inclined towards sin, now we're asking for it to be inclined a different way. Change the geography. How many of you here like to ride bicycles? I don't just mean around the neighborhood, but I mean like really ride. All right, Matt, I know you like to ride. Have you ever encountered a, a hill that was so steep you just thought, you were trying to pedal, but you just thought, forget it, I can't pedal up this hill, and you had to get off and walk? Has that happened to you? It's been a while? You're a great cyclist. You're terrible for this example. Ruthie. All right, you stink at riding bikes, right? So you don't have the leg strength that Matt has. And so anyways, just picking on you. So imagine, right, you, you're on your bike. You come up to this insane hill, and you just start <laughs> trying your best, struggling to get up this hill, the pedals are turning slower and slower. You're just running out of steam. And then you just say, forget this. You get off. You walk it the rest of the way. And then you ride it down because it's fun going down that hill. <laughs> right? So this is what I'm picturing when, when the psalmist says, God, incline my heart. Incline my heart to your testimonies. He is asking God to give him a spiritual hill or an incline in his heart that's so steep, no matter how hard his flesh pedals to get up that thing and get over God's testimonies and walk in sin, it can't make it because his heart's different. And now the spiritual gravity pulls the flesh down and subdues it because you're a new creature with a brand new heart. And now, sinning gets harder because you're pedaling uphill against your own new heart. And you get to the top and you say, forget it. And you have fun riding back down that steep hill right back into God's ways. You get a rush out of riding in the path of obedience. That's the kind of heart we want. A new one that makes sin hard and, and obedience a joy. And a thrill. We need to love God's ways. Not just know them. Not just have a big fat head full of book learning and Bible knowledge and Bible trivia expertise. There are lots of unbelieving Bible scholars who could run circles around me and you both and how much they know about this book. And they don't believe a word of it. It's just their day job. They find it interesting, but they don't find it something that their hearts love and something that their faith can cling to for eternal life. It's just not that kind of book. It's just a nice ancient book that, you know, the way you study Herodotus and Thucydides and Plato and Aristotle and Marcus Aurelius and, you know, Caesar and Augustus, the way you study all these ancient guys and their books because it's just interesting. 
Well, some people just treat the Bible like that. Okay, that's one way to do it in the academy, but we're not in the academy. We're in the school of Christ, and this is life. We don't live by bread alone. We live by every word that comes out of this God's mouth. And we need a new heart that doesn't just know it. When we got to know it. You got to learn it. You can't obey it if you don't know what it is. But once you know it, pray for this heart, Christian, this, in, this new incline in your heart and ask to have your eyes turned away from worthless things and selfishness and have your eyes turned towards his testimonies, his commandments and say, give me life in your ways. I want a life in your ways, not a life in my ways. Learning God's way, loving God's way. And now the end, living God's way. Verses 38 through 40. Let's read it together. 38 through 40. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Do you look at God's rules and say, mm, good? Or do you see it as, ugh, more I got to do? Verse 40, behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. It's a battle. It is a battle to live in God's ways. And fighting to know the word and struggling to have that inclined heart towards God's word, it's a fight. It's the fight that the Bible calls sanctification. The battle of sanctification. Faith fighting against sin and the flesh and the world and seeking to be active in love for God's ways. That's the battle of sanctification when you get right down to it. And in that struggle, we fight against our sin, we fight against our flesh, we ask for that incline in our heart to get steeper and steeper so it's harder and harder to sin. And we live in God's ways. Did you notice what it said in verse four and verse thirty-eight? Confirm to your servant your promise. In other words, do these things I'm praying for, because you've promised to do these things for me. Confirm your servant by answering these prayers, so that you may be feared. Christian, one of the reasons God answers your prayer is so that you'll fear him more. So that you'll walk in the fear of the Lord more. We don't often think about prayer that way. We think about, you know, God answers prayer so we can praise him more. Well, yeah, yeah, we do that too. But God answers prayer so that we'll realize this isn't just like magic and make-believe and just we're just sort of pretending and God's not really up there and no, no one actually is listening and nothing's really happening and... Right? He answers prayer, and he lets us see him answering prayer, so he'll remind us, yeah, I'm up here. <laughs> oh, I'm real, and I'm active, and I'm working. I am a prayer-answering God. I see and I hear. So walk in my ways. Walk in the fear of the Lord, who really is paying attention and keeping account of every idle word we say, and to whom we must give an account on the last day. God keeps his promises to increase our fear of him 
which increases our obedience. He doesn't answer our prayers and keep his promises so that we can get slack. It's just the opposite. But our hearts are not quite inclined all the way, and they're still kind of twisty. Right? There's twists in the road of our hearts, and so we twist things. Maybe we don't mean to, but the sinfulness that's still in us twists things around. When actually God keeps his promises so that we'll be more obedient, not less. Living in God's way means recognizing that God is answering our prayers, but he does it so that we'll fear him more. And then as he says in verse 39, turn away the reproach that I dread for your rules are good. What kind of reproach is it? It's the reproach that comes from being a slack and disobedient disciple. The reproach of living in my sin. Now it's something you dread. I don't want to live in sin anymore. I don't want that reproach, that burden. Your rules are good. That's what I want. Deliver me from my sin and the reproach that comes from sin. Sin that seems pleasing for a time, but then just brings reproach and leaves us empty, more empty than we were beforehand. Deliver me from that because it's your rules. That's what's good. God's commandments, those are what's good. Those satisfy. And then he ends poetically, verse 40, Behold, I long for your precepts, in your righteousness give me life. Now, this is poetry. So often in poetry, you, you flip the word order of stuff. Read a Shakespeare sonnet, and it's like, right? The, the word order is all mixed up because it's poetry. And here it's, it's, it's a little mixed up because it's poetry. Behold, I long for your precepts. Give me life in your righteousness. Give me a life in your righteousness. And what's that look like? It's a life of obedience. It's a life that loves and longs for righteousness, for obedience, for holiness, for godliness, for faithfulness. We're asking God for a life lived in his righteousness, living God's way. So brothers and sisters, let us cultivate this kind of Christian life that puts the focus where it ought to be, praying over our Bibles and seeking to be made new in his word. Let us be faithful disciples and pursue these most important things. Being a new creature who learns God's ways. Faith active in a love for God's way. And keeping God's commandments by living God's way. For it is good and satisfying to that new heart. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would continue the work of renovating our hearts and minds, that you would give us strength in the struggle of sanctification, that you would continue to change the topography of our hearts, to change it, to incline it against sin, away from sin, and up, 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 towards your righteousness, towards your law, towards your commandments. For your law is good, and it tells us what holy living looks like. It tells us what obedience looks like. And you did not save us 
and change us and give us faith in Christ so that we could continue living a life of sin that displeases and dishonors Christ. But you've saved us to make us like Christ, and I pray you would continue to help us in that process of sanctification, of being conformed more and more into the image of Christ, of dying more and more to sin and living more and more for righteousness. Help us to put our focus on these central matters of learning your ways and loving your ways and living in your ways. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.